Let's pray together. Father, as we continue to read and hear your word, as we hear it preached, please open our ears to hear what it says, our hearts and minds to believe what it says. Enable me to speak and preach in a way that's clear and faithful. Uh, empower me to do that by your spirit. Our oh, Lord, for the glory of your name, for the honour of Jesus, and for our own good and our own salvation. Amen. So let's continue to read from John chapter 6 and verse 35 to the end. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me and still you do not believe. All those the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me I will never drive away. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I will lose none of all those he has given me but raise them up at the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. At this, the Jews there began to grumble about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? Stop grumbling among yourselves, Jesus answered. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them, and I will raise them up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard the Father and learned from him comes to me. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. Very truly, I tell you, the one who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, and whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue at Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, This is hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I've spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. 
Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave me too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, who, though one of the twelve, was later to betray him. Please keep your Bibles open, uh, or whether it's a hard copy on your device, if you don't have one, you can grab one from the foyer bookshelf there. In 2007, I went on a short-term mission trip to Malawi in Africa with other students from Bible College. And a Presbyterian pastor there named Colin, he told us how the Muslims were giving out free food and free clothes to get people to become Muslims. And yet there were also thousands of people attending many churches in Malawi hearing the prosperity gospel, as there is in Australia. People being told, come to Jesus and you will be blessed with riches. Come to Jesus and you will be healthy, wealthy, happy. Why people should come to Jesus is an important question. In John's Gospel, people have been coming to Jesus for the free health care, or today in this passage, the free feed. Though I, but I ask you, if you're a Christian, why did you come to Jesus? I met a man who came to Jesus so a Christian girl would date him. I met a woman who came to Jesus because she wanted to be a better person. I've met many people who've come to Jesus thinking that he will make them wealthy and happy now. But in our passage here, we learn that Jesus can give us something so much bigger and better than, than all of these things. For people who truly come to Christ, he gives eternal life. This long chapter is so long, we're not going to be able to cover all the details in one sermon. And Please do speak with me afterward if you have questions. But we're going to look at chapter 6 and see the main point under the headings in your outline in the new sheet. The deeds of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and then we'll think about the response to Jesus. So looking firstly at the deeds of Jesus. If you were here last week in chapter 5, uh, we read about how Jesus was in Jerusalem and he healed the, the lame man. And we learnt that our sin makes us deserving of judgments. Jesus is the way out. So we should believe in him and honour him. And some time has passed. We're told at the start of chapter 6, and Jesus is now further north in Galilee. And Chapter 6 contains the, the only section on Jesus' ministry in Galilee, which Matthew, Mark and Luke's Gospels focus on. And this feeding of the 5,000 is the only miracle that's recorded in all four Gospels. But Jesus has... 
Too many presses. Uh, Jesus, he has crossed this Sea of Galilee to the right side, the, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, that lake is about 21 kilometers long. It's 12 k's at its widest. And verse 4 says that this miracle occurred when the Jewish Passover festival was near. That's mentioned particularly for theological significance. So do you remember the Passover? That's when the Jews remember the Exodus and they're wandering in the wilderness and, and they eat every year unleavened bread. And bread will be an, an important theme in this chapter. And also at the Passover, that was when a, a lamb was slaughtered and eaten. And we know that Jesus is the Lamb of God. And so this points, this chapter will point to the, the difference that his death makes and the life that he brings. Focusing on the deeds of Jesus, we see a great crowd has come to him. And verse 10 says that there's 5,000 men present. If you add women and children to that group, that would probably be around 20,000 people. And not even half a year's wages would be enough to buy enough bread for everyone to have even a bite. And that tells us that Jesus' disciples are unable to meet the people's need. It highlights, the, it highlights humanity's inability to meet our needs. But what does Jesus do? with the five loaves and the two fish. He multiplies them, doesn't he? Jesus then took the loaves, he gave thanks, we're told, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. His first great deed in chapter 6 is to make so much food that a crowd of many thousands eat as much as they wanted, as much as they want. We're told they all had enough to eat. Literally, it means they were all filled this is a lavish supply. It's lavish abundance. They get way more than a bite. Because of Jesus, they are full. They're satisfied. That's because his resources are more than enough to meet their need and ours. Jesus can meet our needs and more. Jesus' next great deed is in verse 16 and following. We're told he's gone off on his own to pray and the disciples head west back across the lake. They've already gone about 5Ks and they're facing winds and waves. And what do they see in verse 19? Jesus approaching, walking on the water. He's not walking on a sandbar. He's walking on the water. In Job chapter 9 and verse 8, Job says about the Lord God, he alone stretches out the heavens. He's describing God as creator. He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. So the Old Testament said that God treads on the waves of the sea and here we have Jesus treading on, walking on the waves of the sea. It tells us that Jesus is God. And then Jesus gets into the boat, and what happens next? Immediately, the boat reached the shore where they were heading. 
They, they had been rowing through rough weather and Jesus joins them and immediately, immediately they arrive at their destination. It's another wondrous deed of the Lord Jesus who can meet their need. The next point is what John tells us about the person of Jesus. Well, after, if you look at verse 14, after the feeding of the 5,000, the people conclude something about him. Because when Jesus signs, they are meant to point people to him and teach us about him. They call him the prophet who is to come into the world. That refers back to Deuteronomy chapter 18, where Moses speaks of another great prophet who is to come, someone who speak words from God. But also Moses, he led the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and it seems here that the people are expecting this second great prophet to lead them out of Roman oppression. And so they try to make him king by force. You see, the crowds see Jesus as the king of an earthly kingdom, someone who can fulfill their nationalistic hopes. And it's ironic because Jesus is the king. He is king, but they try to force him to be the kind of king they want. Maybe he'll lead this army of 5,000 men against the Romans. But in seeking the kind of king they want, they lose the kingdom that he offers. You see, they will miss out on the freedom and the life that he gives. Skipping to verse 25, the crowds have followed Jesus back to the western side of the lake, to the synagogue at Capernaum. And as I asked at the start, why do they come to Jesus? He says... It's because you ate the loaves and had your fill. It was for the free food, the free feed. Maybe they wanted more. And in verse 27, he says, you're looking for the wrong thing. More of the same will never satisfy. Not them, not us. And more of the things of this life will never really satisfy. So what or who will? Verse 32, it speaks to us about the person of Jesus. He says, My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the worlds. And in verse 35, then Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Who's Jesus? He's the bread of life. If you were born in Malawi, Africa, you might think of Jesus as the sema or maize of life. If you're born in China, maybe you, you might think of Jesus as the rice of life, that staple food that sustains people's lives. Jesus is the bread of life. Seven times we are told in this chapter that he comes down from heaven, from God the Father. He's come to do the Father's will. And that's not to give us a never-ending supply of physical food now. 
For we, we know, don't we, that material things and even our favourite foods, they don't satisfy us long. As the bread of life, he gives people eternal life. Verse 27. And he repeats this over and over and over. What does this eternal life include? It means firstly, as verse 35 35 says, we will never go hungry, never be thirsty. It's like what Jesus offered the the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. Do you remember her from chapter 4? He offers her this water welling up to eternal life. Think about that. Come to Jesus and never be spiritually hungry. Writer Don Carson suggests this does not mean there's no need for continual dependence on him, for continued feeding on him. It does mean that there is no longer that core emptiness that the initial encounter with Jesus has met. The consummating salvation is when those who have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb stand before the throne of God and experience what Revelation 7 verse 16 says. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. To summarize that, Jesus gives real satisfaction with a now and a not yet element to it. So we are satisfied truly and deeply with Jesus but the fullest and the best is yet to come. And so eternal life, it starts with satisfaction and real relationship with God now, real peace with God now, but it continues forever and it will get better. Our physical death only brings us believers into the presence of God forevermore we will not experience the second death, that spiritual death and eternal judgment in hell. Rather, we will pass through the gate of physical death to live eternally. And when Jesus returns, we will be given our new resurrection bodies Like in verse 40, when Jesus says they have eternal life and I will raise them up on on the last day. And so that will mean, brothers and sisters, that we will experience incomparable fulfillment and the deepest joy and unending satisfaction in never wear out bodies. It's good news. But do we really believe? Do we really believe that Jesus is the one who satisfies? It was 1943 in World War II when Louis Zamperini's plane crashed into the Pacific Ocean and for 47 days he drifted, his skin burning, no food to eat. Perhaps, though, the greatest threat to his survival was thirst, I mean, how could this be, though? All he could see in every direction was water, cool water. It looks like drinking water. 
He felt like drinking it. But it was salt water and he couldn't take a sip. If he drank it, it would have left him thirstier than before. He would have experienced diarrhea and a pounding headache. And if he kept drinking it, cramps, kidney failure, seizures, brain damage. Louis resisted the urge to sip that salt water and he survived. But unlike Louis, we drink salt water, metaphorically speaking. Some people gulp it down. Most of us take sips without even realising it. In his fantastic little book, Sipping Salt Water, How to Find Lasting Satisfaction in a World of Thirst, the author Steve Hopps says, we listen to a lie, then we drink, then we suffer. The salt water some people drink is money, thinking wealth will satisfy. For others, it's sex or sleep, sports or status. For others, it's food, family, friendships, or it's computers, or clothes, new clothes, coffee. Is it For others, it's emotions, or entertainment, or vacations, or vocations. What is it for you? We're meant to enjoy God's gifts, but we often try to find our deepest and our lasting satisfaction in them and they can't satisfy us. So what is it that you adore too much or always think about? What is it you're terrified of losing? What is it you need with a capital N? Or what is your escape in the midst of suffering? Drinking salt water means turning a gift from God into a God. It's us turning to an idol. And when we do that, our idols become like a drug that wears off. We suffer spiritual pain. We again ache inside, unsatisfied. Instead of listening again to the lie and turning to those things, we need Jesus and to turn to him. Back to Louis, he survived by drinking rainwater. He turned to God who answered his prayer with rain after a long story, eventual rescue. But then Louis turned to alcohol for satisfaction until he heard the gospel and became a Christian and the Spirit of God entered his heart and he found peace and he stopped drinking. Receiving what Jesus offers even brings eternal life. And in Steve Hopp's words, when we die, paradise lost will become paradise found. We won't suffer a hellish fate, but be with God in heaven forever. No more suffering, no more pain. It will be better than anything you can imagine, anything you could ever imagine, better than the best day of your life. 
better than sex, better than chocolates, better than the best vacation you've ever taken, better than anything this world could offer. You'll be with God in paradise forever. Do we look forward to that? This can be ours because Jesus is the bread of life. He's the source of deep and lasting satisfaction. He's the only source of eternal life. So third point, what is the response to Jesus? In our passage, I'll highlight four responses. We've already seen, firstly, that there's people in the crowd who want to make him a king who does what they want. They want him to be their kind of king or they want him to provide them a free feed. They want God on their terms. And that's just like people today who come to Jesus for health and wealth and fleeting happiness. So often we want more of this life. But that's not salvation. It's only short-term satisfaction. And those who seek more of this life on their terms, they will end up being disappointed. So if that's you, or you know that you've been sipping or gulping down salt water, then repent and turn from that back to the only one who can satisfy Then in verse 36, we have people who've seen Jesus and the miraculous and his miraculous signs and they still do not believe. Some in verse 30, they just want more signs. As if feeding 5,000 people from five loaves wasn't enough. In verse 41, they think they know Jesus. They think they know his family. They think they have him all worked out, this fellow Galilean They don't know him and they don't know who his true father is. But despite all the evidence they've seen, they grumble. They reject Christ and his claims. Thirdly, we have some who stop following Jesus because what he says is too hard or too offensive. In verse 51, Jesus claims, I am the living bread. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. In saying that, Jesus is speaking of his death. And also, his blood refers to his sacrificial death. Then Jesus asserts in verse 53 to 58, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. I mean, that's pretty startling language, to say the least, isn't it? But he's not actually being literal. He's not calling for cannibalism. Maybe maybe our minds go to the Lord's Supper. But the language used in other scriptures which institute the Lord's Supper is not used here. For example, Jesus says, excuse me, this is my flesh, not this is my body. And when we interpret this paragraph in the light of the context, the rest of the chapter, and when we notice what Jesus says before this paragraph and what what we read after, it cannot refer to the Lord's Supper. It is strong but still metaphorical language. 
And we can only conclude that we're saved by believing in Jesus, believing his word, not by eating the Lord's Supper. What Jesus means is that the spiritual realities are received by faith. And as one writer points out, we're familiar with this eating kind of language. You know, we devour books. We drink in lectures. We swallow stories. We chew over a matter. Sometimes we have to eat our own words. If you believe, you have eaten. Jesus is saying we must trust in and rely on his death. We need to believe in the crucified Jesus. And then his spirit will enter your soul. To eat and drink him is taking Christ into our most inner being by faith. We might still say the passage alludes to the Lord's Supper. I mean, there's parallels here. I mean, when we eat the bread at the Lord's Supper, it reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life. But what Jesus says here is to be a picture that points us to Christ himself, not the Lord's Supper. However, as verse 60 reveals, not not everyone could accept this hard teaching. And verse 66, many disciples turn back and no longer follow him. Whether it was Jesus' radical teaching or, or the fact that he claimed to come from God, or that he called them to give up their own ideas and their self-rule, whatever it was, they stopped following Jesus. But it doesn't surprise him. Because in verse 64, Jesus knows who won't believe and who will betray him. And he says, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. That refers back to verse 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. A bit like the fisherman throwing out the burly, the Father draws his chosen people to his Son. God's sovereignty in salvation is a major theme in John's Gospel and it is important to hear. Jesus is teaching predestination and the sovereignty of God's grace. That means that coming to God starts with God. He takes the initiative and he moves in his chosen people's hearts. Left to ourselves, we choose sin. Left to ourselves, we would we prefer and we would choose sin every time. Every time. For any one of us to be saved, we need God to regenerate our hearts and give us a desire and a willingness to repent and believe. And so his irresistible grace draws us and it saves us. And yet we are still responsible. We're responsible for our choices and we must choose to believe. For as Jesus says, only those who look to the Son and believe in him will have eternal life. The truth of God's sovereign and gracious election is given to help us know that we don't save people and we can't save ourselves. But Christ will hold his people safe. 
And so because God will save his people, trust him. Keep trusting him. Please talk with me after if you have questions. This brings us to the fourth and right way to respond to Jesus, which is to believe in him. This has been a repeated theme in the chapter. Look back at verse 29. The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Remember, that's the one who will give people life by giving up his life. And in verse 35, Jesus declares, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Coming to Jesus is mentioned four times in the chapter. And and we come to him, as that verse says, we come to him by believing in him. And verse 40 repeats it. Everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. So turn away from seeking satisfaction, ultimate satisfaction in other things and turn to Jesus, come to Jesus. Have you done that? At the end of the chapter, when many disciples are deserting Jesus, he says, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And Peter answers in those famous words in verse 68, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We've come to believe and to know that you're the Holy One of God. If Jesus is the bread of life who dies to give us eternal life, you and I, we need to put our trust, our hope, all our confidence in Christ. And we believe in Christ by believing in his words. That's what verse 68 is teaching us. We're to believe his words and keep on believing So feed on the crucified Christ by feeding on his words here. Don't stop. Don't stop. A few years ago at my previous church, I was introduced to a man named Norm. His Christian doctor had witnessed to him and he wanted to know more. Norm was in his 80s and he'd worked hard as a tradesman all his life. And he worked hard to grow his business and provide for his family. Really, he'd been seeking true satisfaction in his work and in his family. But as his life came to an end, suffering lung cancer, he had no hope beyond death and his soul was hungry. And two weeks before Norm died, he heard that Jesus died and rose again to give people eternal life. And he heard the words of Christ and he believed them. He puts all his hope, all his confidence in Jesus' words. And in doing that, he trusted in Jesus. And Norm passed away looking forward to eternal life with him. Only Jesus who died for us can give us real and lasting satisfaction. Believe it. Only Jesus can give you eternal life. Believe it. 
I close this morning by urging you to make, if you're a believer, to make the words in verse 68 your own. Lord, to whom shall I go? You have the words of eternal life. You alone have the words of eternal life. May they be yours. Let's pray. Our Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you that you didn't leave us lost and dead in sin and facing judgments. You came to us in your Son who loved us and gave himself for us so that we might have true life, real satisfaction, eternal life. May we, whether it's for the first time or yet again, believe and rely on him. Forgive us for turning to other things for ultimate satisfaction. May we turn away from them and to Jesus and come to him in faith again today. By your spirit, help us to respond to him in faith, to cling to him for hope of everlasting life when, you will, when he will return and we will receive our resurrection bodies. We look forward to that, Lord, so please grow our faith and our hope Help us to rely on and feed on these words of Jesus day by day for every day and every year that you give us. Amen.